Welcome to the Commonwealth Magazine podcast in partnership with Transit Matters. I'm your host, Jim Aloisi. I'm a former state transportation secretary, and I'm on the board of Transit Matters. My co-host today is our COO, Jared Johnson. Hello, Jared. Hello. Happy to be here. And our guest today is Julia Wallace. Julia is the Boston Program Manager for ITDP. And for those of you who don't know Julia or that group, they are foremost uh, globally and nationally um, advancing bus rapid transit and better bus. So, Julia, welcome. Thank you. Glad to be here. Tell us a little bit about your role with ITDP and what you're doing in the Boston region. Sure. So ITDP, it's the acronym that doesn't ever quite roll off the tongue. We're the Institute for Transportation and Development Policy, and uh, we work around the world in seven different countries to uh, promote uh, sustainable, equitable transportation. And uh, specifically here in Boston, um, it's actually the the only U.S. city where we have um, a built-out robust program. Um, We are focused on bus rapid transit uh, because of our our global presence, our global connections and expertise around the world, which is really where BRT is most prevalent um, until recently. Um, we have been here working closely in Boston since 2013 to first starting um, with the Boston BRT study group to explore the potential for BRT in Boston. Could it work? Just starting from a very baseline, is this even an option for us here in Boston? Um, and moving from there, um, deploying some pilots to really you know, test out elements of it. And we're at the point now where we're thinking, okay, and maybe it's time to press play. Let's do this. I think um, bus ha- transit for many, many years has had a, a- a sort of not stellar reputation and has been sort of preconceived as the worst form of transit. I think it's largely because of the experience people had where buses were stuck mm-hmm. in traffic. Yeah. Buses didn't have any traffic signal priority. Buses are fighting in the same lanes as every other vehicle. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, the experience leaves something to be desired. But what we're talking about and what you're doing is um, advancing an idea of bus that's modern, that responds to 21st century ideas about how to move people more efficiently, mm-hmm. particularly in the urban core. Tell, talk, let's talk a little bit about that word, that phrase, bus mm-hmm. rapid transit. What does it mean? What are the com- elements of it? When people talk about that or they use the expression better bus, what are they talking about? Right. Well, there, there's definitely a distinction between better bus and BRT, but, you know, starting from BRT really takes the notion of a bus as we know it today in the United States and turns it on its head um, to what we're more familiar with, which is rail. Um, so I think that really the best way to explain it is buses sort of mimicking rapid. We have the rapid turn, the rib- mimicking rail, but using buses so it is much more uh, flexible, reroutable, um, and a fraction of the cost, fraction of the time to to implement it um, as composed to, compared to rail. So BRT has five basic features, and the number one by far um, is dead. Dedicated, dedicated right away. Um, like you said, Jim, when the buses are sitting in traffic with everyone else, you don't feel like you have any sort of priority. Why would you do that when you could be sitting in traffic in your comfortable car um, in a, rather than a crowded bus? So it removes that number one barrier to making buses feel like, you know, the cool kid on the block, um, the, the pri- the the preferable way to get around. Um, it uh, The second one is busway median alignment. So getting buses not only out of traffic, but out of the conflict of turning cars. And that means running those buses down the center of the roadway um, in a true BRT. And then you get into the more familiar features of rail, having um, stations that are branded and covered and sometimes even heated. Um, 
So platform level boarding, you just roll right on to the bus. There's no steps. Um, and in most cases, you have paid before you get on. So that's offboard fare collection, which then enables all door boarding. So you take away this feeling of being cattle going into a pen, waiting for the door to open and everyone to, you know, put in their cards or their cash. Everyone just rolls right on. All the doors open, all the doors close, and you zoom off. You don't encounter a drop of traffic. And then there's uh, intersection priority, transit signal priority to allow the buses to traverse the intersection seamlessly. And many of these features, of course, um, improve the bus speed and predictability Absolutely. because they improve what we call dwell times. In mm -hmm. other words, the bus is not dwelling, sitting there at the stop for longer periods of time. And if you, dear listener, can imagine um, the time that it takes to climb a step, uh, particularly if you're, uh, say, you're a senior citizen, you're a parent with a child, mm -hmm. you have some uh, issue with, with, yeah. a, with motor ability. Mm -hmm. All of this takes a longer period of time unless you have level boarding. Right. So level boarding is really one of the essential components of true bus rapid right. transit. Right, and it, it's not just about saving time. While time is valuable and time is, is everything, uh, it's also about comfort and experience. Um, and we find that oftentimes when we piloted elements of this, uh, for example, uh, the Silverline Aldor boarding demo a few years ago, um, Boston BRT did pilot Aldor boarding um, so people didn't have to line up and um, pay on board and people actually I think they saved you know the time savings was only a couple of minutes but people would say they felt that they saved you know 10 minutes mm -hmm. um, so the the, perce the perception of what that time feels like is just as important as the actual time and we see this as well in the dedicated lanes um, it might only be a couple of minutes but people say oh I saved 40 minutes on my commute because it just felt so much better so much more comfortable um, that hassle of sitting in traffic and just feeling frustrated and your blood boiling like you're not going to get where you're going to go you remove that and you make it comfortable and pleasant, and it just uh, upgrades mm. the experience astronomically. And that's what BRT does. Awesome. And we should say uh, ITDP is is unique in that, um, you know, those five key components you've listed out are, are, are part of the fact that ITDP is, um, you know, they, because the term bus rapid transit and better bus have been used so many mm -hmm. times, IDP, ITDP uh, came up with, with rankings and, and has really been, um, you know, really pushing to make sure that, BRT is, is consistent. Can you talk about that and talk about, you know, what someone means when they say gold standard or different things like that? Right, right. So it's hard in the U.S. because we don't have a lot of BRT. People are generally not familiar. I mean, you have to travel out of the state of Massachusetts to see BRT at all. The closest true BRT is in Hartford. And even then, if you see, you might not know that that's what it is. So um, as BRT became more prevalent and the, the term better bus, you know, bus priority, dedicated lanes, um, ITDP pursued and developed what's called the BRT standard, which is a scorecard that's sort of, like I to say, it does for BRT what LEED does for green building and green buildings and sets out uh, specific criteria to define what that actually is to hold it up to a higher standard so that we don't just have um, you know a fancy bus in a lane that might sometimes be in traffic sometimes not and end up calling it BRT. How do you deal with the issue though of the legacy infrastructure which in Boston in particular there are many places in the real downtown urban core as you know that probably don't lend themselves to gold standard because of the the narrowness of the streets of the the the, the lack of, of uh, what's the word I'm looking for so the right away right of just way with yeah with I mean. and so I've always thought we should aspire to and try to achieve gold standard as much as we can but mm -hmm. that in a place like Boston because of the legacy infrastructure you just have to accept 
that there may be some points along the way right. where it's really not able to achieve gold standard. Absolutely. Gold standard is not the end all. It's certainly the creme de la creme of BRT, but it doesn't mean that if it's, it, it doesn't mean you can't still have great BRT and not be gold standard. Mm-hmm. Um, and that definitely does come up a lot in you know historic cities like Boston, where we look at our narrow streets that used to be cow paths and say how, and then you compare it to some of the popular BRT systems, and you know Bo- Transmillennial in Bogota or across uh, China, and they've got these massive thoroughfares that even they even have removed entire buildings to have multiple bus lanes and car lanes and bike lanes and every kind of lane, and think oh forget it that that's not us we can never do that wipe it off the slate. It's not possible. But actually, uh, BRT is as possible as your creativity uh, makes it as far as what you can do with the width you have on your streets. And we see that most, I think, most prevalently in Mexico City um, with Metrobus, where uh, it winds through a very historic uh, part of the downtown where streets are very narrow. And they were able to make some concessions um, where you actually have, you know, what's called floating stations, uh, where the the, the station is actually sort of on the curb. So you don't take as much... um, of the street space, but the buses still are traveling in their own. You're not giving up that right of way. Mm-hmm. Um, and then even in some of the recent BRTs in the United States, I think it's in uh, in Eugene, they have parts where the buses just take, they only take one lane in the middle of the street and they take turns uh, cross uh, contraflow lanes. Mm-hmm. So you can be creative about how you use your street, street space in just about every way. And BRT is certainly one of those ways where that needs to be done, especially in a city like Boston. So how have how has the notion of BRT been received by the transit advocacy community? How has it been received by municipal leaders? How is it being received by state leaders? I think, you know, here in the U.S. it's kind of been a, a bit of a double-edged sword where we've been presenting um, – elements of BRT in isolation, which was really, um, so the Boston BRT Initiative, which has been exploring this potential for BRT for the last six years um, through the support of the Bauer Foundation, and we've been um, integral in the, providing support to that. But when we started just demonstrating little little pieces of it and sort of getting the word BRT on the streets, getting f- people familiar what with what bus priority is, um, and then doing that under the umbrella of BRT has been I think a bit confusing, um, but at the same time also exciting because people have been able to see the enormous impacts that can be yielded with just demonstrating one element of BRT, you know, just giving a bus dedicated right away from 6 to 9 a.m. for a quarter mile of street and how that ended up saving commuters 10 minutes in Mm -hmm. Arlington did exactly what we hoped it would do and demonstrate those savings. Um, So the challenge then becomes, well, that was only a quarter mile. What if it was the full 1.9 miles, which is the requirement to uh, qualify as a BRT? Um, So overall, I would say, I mean, better, better bus, bus priority has... I think, taken off at lightning speed over the last couple of years. We even had last year, you know, hashtag year of the bus. We saw all the pilots, the SL3 extension, um, the Better Bus project at the MBTA. Um, there was really a lot to be celebrated, and I think we have turned a page on how we treat buses in Boston. Um, but the challenge now becomes, you know, how do we go that extra mile to not just having a better bus, but actually having bus rapid transit, and why is that important? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what, what would you say to critics who say, well, you know, we've, we've got the, you know, the dedicated bus lane or, you know, we've got the bus lane during rush hours. What would you say to those critics who say, well, you know, is, isn't that good enough? You know, why do we need to go that extra step to make it full BRT? Well, again, it's not BRT is not possible everywhere. But the truth of the matter is that, you know, we have a crisis on our hands. We have a congestion crisis. We have a climate crisis uh, and it's, it's impacting our health, our economy, all elements of, you know, who we are 
um, as a society and as a species. And to dig ourselves out of this mess, we've got to be bold. And um, better buses, dedicated lanes are absolutely part of the solution, but they're incremental steps to getting us to that more bold, comprehensive solution to really moving massive amounts of people in significantly freer vehicles um, and making it that much more appealing um, to everyone. Um, and that's what we think BRT can really offer. Let's let's talk a little bit about the experience in Everett, because Everett seems to really be the sort of significant pioneer in the region. Mm-hmm. Um, talk a little bit about what their experience was like. Jay Monty, who's the planner in Everett, um, who I think has been largely responsible for working under the mayor's direction and getting this underway, says, you know, we just, we did it in the the process, if I'm correct. The pilot was the, the public pilot process. was the process, <laughs> which I love He's that idea that. Um, because it sort of gets you in a point where you're actually doing something as opposed to just talking right. about something. But talk about Everett and lessons learned and what, what's on the horizon there. Absolutely. And I think uh, this reminds me of a quote, I think, from you just this morning. You said, you know, we're, we're killing ourselves with studies. And right. the same thing can be said with, you know, meetings and meetings and studies. And let's just try something. Let's just take a step and see if it works. And that's exactly the mentality that has been tested and, quite frankly, prevailed in Everett. Mm-hmm. They have bold uh, political leadership, uh, political will, which is an enormous part of the uh, equation in um testing out innovative transportation. So, a mayor who was willing to take a risk right. and willing to say, you know what, I- I'm going to back you up. And He realized that half of the people traveling on Broadway at any given time in rush hour are doing so in a bus. So why are they sitting in traffic with you know all the other cars where there's just one person? We should get them out of traffic, prioritize them. Hey, we've got cones. Let's, let's drop some. Um, there's not that many people who need to park on the curb uh, between 6 and 9 a.m., but there's a ton of people trying to get to work in a bus, and they're wasting precious time and feeling like third-class citizens. Let's raise them up and give them their own dedicated space because ultimately, you know, space is priority, and priority tells people, uh, you know, who's valued in a, in a community. We can do that through space. Um, and that's what they did just to see how it worked, and you remove those buses from transit, uh, from traffic, and, you know, the sky didn't fall. And so they kept it. And then they decided to go a step further and test out some platform-level boarding and see how much better that experience would be for people if they didn't have to climb upstairs. If the bus could pull right up to the platform, you could just roll right on with your wheelchair, with your stroller, if you just had a hip replacement. Um, and that was another um, result of their, their willingness to, to try something new as part of the pilot well, in the public process. The sense I got is that the mayor got a lot of very mostly positive Absolutely. feedback. So it's not, not only did the sky not fall in, but people embraced it, yep. and it's like, can we have more of this, please? Even drivers, my understanding yeah. is, even drivers noticed that the traffic was flowing. Yeah, and we noticed smoothly. that, yeah, from uh, actually from all the pilots, that drivers actually feel you 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 remove that conflict of the bus pulling in and out of traffic, and mm-hmm. that actually benefits motorists. Um, physically and just mentally of not feeling that sense of annoying. Oh, I'm stuck behind the bus. Oh, good. The bus is out of my way. And hey, the bus is actually breezing by me. Why am I not on that? So it kind of creates that, that dual incentive. There was um, some creative stuff going on in Everett uh, in terms of making the bus stop a little bit friendlier and just right. drawing 
people's attention, yeah. remind people what was going on. Absolutely. Yeah, Everett has been <laughs> such a rock star on so many levels. And, uh, you know, like I said, you know, BRT, it's not just about the, the time savings, the transit service itself, but the whole experience of being a bus rider. And so um, in the, the, the Everett BRT pilot that we worked with them on, we wanted to go even further and really make the experience of waiting for the bus um, a pleasant, even beautiful one. And so um, not only do we brand some of the stations with little um, people's faces and um, little icons of people of all ages, a bus is saying Everett BRT, but there was one day last summer in August where we did what's called a flower bomb. And it's exactly what it sounds like, literally uh, decking out one of the bus stops right in Everett Square with so many flowers that you could have a wedding underneath it. <laughs> so just to juxtapose that next to you know your typical bus stop, which if you're lucky, it has a bench. If you're even luckier, it has a shelter. If you're lucky, it has a sign. You know, you've got stops that don't even have signs. And, and making it this beautiful place that makes you feel like such a, a person of dignity to be waiting for the bus. And it really was engaging and made people feel special and, and drawn to that experience. So there was a flower bomb, there was a platform, which um, really also sort of justified uh, that bus stop as a piece of infrastructure that the city valued. Mm -hmm. And then the buses running in their own lane outside of traffic. So it sends this dual message um, to the community that this is a city that values not just transit, but transit riders. Absolutely. And, that, and I think that dignity piece is so important when you look at um, who rides buses mm -hmm. and particularly who rides a lot of the buses that have, mm -hmm. um, you know, that have issues. Um, you know, there, there's that, that statement from the um, uh, Go Boston 2030 report about black riders spending more time in, in, in traffic. Yeah, and 17 so, percent so, yeah. more time in, uh, in rush hour. Absolutely. Yeah. So something you mentioned earlier about um, about Connecticut's. Uh, BRT. I think something that, that's been brought up is, um, you know, the very radial nature of our, mm. um, of our, both our subway system and our commuter rail system means that, um, you know, there's, there's going to be trouble getting from, say, you know, Framingham to, to, to Franklin and other places like that. Can you think, can you talk about how, you know, for folks, particularly for folks who don't live in the, in the core, how BRT can help them? Well, the Hartford Fast CT Fast Track uh, BRT was implemented along a former rail right of way. And those are enormous opportunities to seize when you have that kind of access. And so instead of having a train run there, it um, it's a BRT and it does it. It feels kind of like a commuter rail if you ride the CT Fast Track. It goes through fields and forests to suburbs and there's parking lots and it goes right behind, you know, big box stores. Um, so that... That can be an, a fantastic solution if you have the right way and the potential to do that. Um, I'm not sure that we have that here in the Boston region going to the suburbs. What we do have is roadway. Mm -hmm. it, you know, you look at what, are, what is your existing infrastructure, mm -hmm. which is really what WES is all about, making the most of the infrastructure that you do have. Um, so as far as connecting the suburbs, um, it doesn't necessarily need to be through full-scale BRT, but, you know, shoulder lanes, express bus service. Um, a lot of cities, I think San Diego is trying, since they have so many freeways, they're utilizing um, center platforms running down the middle of two freeways to run express buses, uh, which, of course, has posed some challenges because it's very loud and the air quality is not so great. The most pleasant place to wait. But right. <laughs> um, but that's all part of piloting, right? Sure. Seeing, seeing what works and making, making the best of uh, what you have. Uh, typically, BRT is for, you know, denser urban environments. You need mm -hmm. a quite high level of uh, density to, to make it work, to make the numbers work. Um, but um, as far as serving the suburbs, I think it would be much more of a, you know, rapid bus program that we absolutely have the capacity to do I mean, that could connect to a BRT system. Absolutely. In Bogota, the Transmillennia, if I'm right, is... Um, served by shuttles that mm -hmm. come in from feeder the suburbs, right. feeder routes. Right. And yeah. so 
you know, one of the things I think we need to start to imagine and think about is how we serve, let's call them transit deserts um, mm -hmm. or places with less density, but where people nonetheless would like to get that transit ride mm -hmm. and think about ways, maybe they're provided in a public-private partnership, maybe they're provided by the public sector, we should be creative about it, but finding ways to, act, to give those people access to the main line and mm -hmm. you know if they can figure this out in other places we should be able to figure it out here yeah absolutely and i think you know that also ties in with you know what what you guys are doing in terms of matters with with commuter rail vision mm -hmm. you know expanding those main routes so that you can have more opportunities for feeder routes and um, absolutely most BRTs have a, a slew of routes that do feed into it um, obviously a one-seat ride is is always ideal but in a big geography it's not always possible so how do you get more people most quickly to that rapid line right I think the important thing is a seamless ride I seamless, mean a one-seat right. ride is great but if you had a, a, a ride where you might have to get off of one mm -hmm. and move to another, but right. it's seamless. If the bus, you know, it's coming every two to five minutes, right. which is what a good BRT should be doing. You don't need to check the schedule. You don't need to run because right. if you miss it, it's going to be half an hour. You're waiting in a, in a, in a, in a, in a nice shelter. Yes. There's easy well, ability to, to transfer and yes, to tap ahead of time. you can get a coffee if you even have time. Right. <laughs> yeah. Most people are not unreasonable, right? Mm -hmm. They just want that right. experience. Like, yeah, we're imagine, rational beings. <laughs> imagine if you went to a restaurant, you know, and you said, and they said, um, you said, well, I'd like to have dinner here. And they said, well, fine, but there's no chair. There's no place <laughs> to sit. Well, is there a menu? Well, not really, you know. Uh, you, you should guess. That's the experience people have at many bus stops. There's no mm -hmm. place to sit. The scheduling is not available. They have no idea. You yeah. wouldn't tolerate it in a right. restaurant. You right. feel out you, of control. <laughs> you'd feel out of control. You wouldn't go there again. So why would you tolerate it in your mobility system, mm -hmm. right, which is so critical? What else? Now, we talked about Everett. Let's talk about some mm -hmm. other communities and, and also Boston. Yeah, and I um, should say that Everett, Everett also is the, uh, you know, the, the community that has, you know, vocally mm -hmm. expressed as a desire to move forward towards full BRT, and it's, it's really the only good. one so far who has publicly said so that. So they actually saw it. Yeah. They loved it. Yes. And they want more yeah, of it. Yeah, Mayor De Maria saw a picture of right. what BRT could look like on Broadway, Upper Broadway, Lower Broadway, and said, I want that. We Let's love do you, it. Everett. <laughs> yes, we do <laughs> love, we love Everett. You, Everett. It's a bold vision and willingness. Also, I think the home of, not to do a plug, but the home of my favorite peanut butter is Everett. Oh, so, I thought you were going to say Encore Casino. I'm like, <laughs> no. what? No, 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 no. <laughs> the casino is into it, too. It would be yeah, great for the casino. Get the casino. Is, I think there's and, talks um, about Silver Line they expansion They can have the Encore that. Casino stop. I mean, there's so many ways to build it in as a world-class yeah. transit have a solution. bus that went past the peanut butter place. So hey, a peanut butter it, bus, be and a, a tuxedo <laughs> bus. Uh, you can do anything with these BRTs. They're so, so flexible. I know you did stuff in Arlington, I believe right. Cambridge, Watertown, yeah. and Boston. Give us a sense of what's going on. Yeah, so the local pilots. Yeah, yeah, that was in 2017. Uh, the Boston BRT Initiative decided, okay, enough with the branding. We did some, you know, photo contests, little little things to beauty in the bus to change the image of the bus. We said, let's try. Let's give some incentive for municipalities to step up and try something in a way that they might not otherwise do on their own. So it was actually a, a grant program where these communities were to step up and say, here's what we're willing to do. We'll try out these elements of BRT, recognizing you can't go from zero to 90 overnight, mm -hmm. but you can you can incrementally try things. Um, 
And so uh, the cities, uh, town of Arlington, Cambridge and Watertown working together, and Everett all received these grants um, from the Bar Foundation to partner with the T. And I want to emphasize that because the T was such a critical partner and was quite frankly thrilled to see municipalities stepping up rather than sort of waiting for the T to take the lead. And they were right there uh, willing to work with them to, to try out things like dedicated lanes, platform level boarding, and transit signal priority, and queue jump lanes, all all essentially elements of BRT, but really better bus bus priority features. Can you explain for the listener what a queue jump lane Yeah, is? a queue jump lane is um, exactly what it sounds like. It's like if you're waiting in line and suddenly you get to jump the queue. Um, so oftentimes it's with a right turn lane. Um, the bus is able to use the right turn lane to get ahead of of the queue so if you're trying to the bus is trying to go straight through the intersection it doesn't have to sit and wait in that line it can jump ahead um, usually cars are able to use it to turn right or buses can use it to, to jump ahead of the queue and get to the other side of the intersection um, and in the case of Arlington they actually moved a bus stop to the other side of the intersection to make sh- to to save time so the bus didn't stop at the stop and then the light turned red and it would stop waiting not only could it jump the queue but it could get through the intersection to the stop a lot quicker so it, you you save time and you just you feel really important, which is I, worth a lot. I know that the city of Boston has created a new transit division within BTD and Matt Moran, yeah, who's a, a really good guy and a friend of the transit advocacy is running that. Mm-hmm. What's going on in Boston? I mean, I've, we've seen a lot of momentum. Certainly the, uh, the formation of that transit team has been pivotal in you know, changing the way that uh, Boston approaches buses and uh, takes initiative to try things. I mean, um, the Washington Street bus pilot was the first one, actually. I, no, uh, Everett was the first, but out the gate um, in 2018, there was a dedicated lane in Washington Street. Mm-hmm. And then um, since then, they've already implemented the, the Bright Nav uh, shared bus bike lane, which was really sort of groundbreaking, having this and not only you know, buses and bikes sharing a lane, but also doing a training to help people learn how to use it. So the education component's been huge there. Um, you know, in all honesty, boss is not moving as fast as we might like them to, but everything, it's complicated. It's, everything is political. Um, if you look at the goals of Go Boss in 2030, you'd say, absolutely, we're on our way. We're, we've got it all mapped out. Um, getting from here to there is another story. Change is always difficult. Absolutely, no especially in New England. Sure. <laughs> I'm from the West Coast, you know, <laughs> different but mentality. The, the real issue here is when we're talking about bus and we're talking about improving bus, whether it's better bus or bus rapid transit, uh, or anything in between, we're at, we're now entering an era where uh, this is not just about the MBTA. Mm-hmm. It's about a strong collaboration between the cities and the towns who control the roadways, who, who control the traffic signaling um, with the T. And I think we're just beginning to sort out how that works. The chairman of the Fiscal Management Control yeah, Board, Joe Aiello, to his credit, uh, has proposed a $50 million the program mm-hmm. for municipalities, which I think is a good idea. Absolutely. Um, I, it may be that we need to even rethink, you know, governance structures mm-hmm. when it comes to this, because I think cities and towns are just going to be some more significant players in the provision of bus transit. Yeah. How do you, if, if you if you remember back in that, that um, collaboration with Watertown and Cambridge, how did that, mm-hmm. you know, how did that come together where you were able to have, you know, not just this, great bus lane that stopped right at the Cambridge-Watertown line. How did that collaboration come about? The collaboration came about because they realized that they shared a corridor um, and that, you know, uh, transit doesn't stop. uh, Where people are going doesn't stop at town borders and that a lot of the riders on their shared routes came from Watertown. So they worked together to pool their resources and create a better bus experience for everyone traveling on Mount Auburn Street, um, recognizing that it wasn't 
possible to do a dedicated lane everywhere or for the full corridor, but in Arlington, in Watertown, they were able to do several sets of Q-jump lanes that then led into the full dedicated lane um, once it crossed into, into Cambridge. So it was a really great example of uh, not just you know, inter- cross-jurisdictional collaboration, but also with the T. And mm-hmm. I know in New England we're kind of famous for community, communities functioning in isolation and not talking about what one another are doing. But in the case of these pilots, it really opened up those levels of communication and recognizing that our issues don't stop at our borders and um, we're, we need to think more as a region. Maybe this is the dawning of the age of Aquarius in New England. I don't know. <laughs> I <laughs> sure slow hope so. Coming I sure here. hope so. The, um, we're going to have to wrap up soon, but I wanted to talk a little bit. You know, the MBTA announced that they're going to, be shutting the subway system down mm-hmm. weekends in order to accelerate state of good repair. And a lot of people who are advocates, myself included, right. have said, embrace the idea. Yeah. However, what is the plan for alternative service? And I would say quickly, it cannot be that we're just going to have shuttle buses as if, as we have been doing right. in the past. That doesn't work. Having dedicated bus lanes, having maybe weekday bus service on crucial lines, let's talk about the role that bus can play to give people who need transit mobility on weekends the service that they deserve. Yeah, I mean, these... These these uh, service station uh, rail shutdowns could actually end up being bus buses biggest pro- uh, opportunity to really shine sure, and step up a catalyst exactly because what do we do if we don't have the T sort of puts that out there what are we going to do if we don't have the red line well what do we have we have roads and we have buses. We got, how can we make them run more like a, a rail, what people expect? And how can we make the buses run more like that? And that essentially, this is exactly how Metrobus in uh, Mexico City came about mm-hmm. when they realized they had explosive population growth. There was no way to keep up with it. Um, on, and there was no way to afford to build out their subway system to the capacity they would need to serve the masses of people who would need to use it. And there was no way that all those people were going to be driving cars. And quite frankly, that's how they resorted to BRT and said, we need to explore an option to move this many people as efficiently as rail, but for a fraction of cost. And they did it for about 20 times less a price it would have wow. cost to, to build that as a rail. Um, so it could have, you can really shine the light on well, what can, what can buses do for us? Well, mm-hmm. we don't have the T, and where where is the roadway that we can utilize better to move more efficiently, move more people in fewer vehicles? And there you go, there there's buses, but we got to get those buses out of traffic and sort of mimic the service that people are used to and expect and want, and BRT delivers that. So, um, if you're listening to me, <laughs> MBTA and Secretary Pollock and Matt Moran of P- BTD and others. Let's think about this as an opportunity to let bus show how great an option it can be. Let's not rely on status quo bus shuttles. Let's think about being creative and right. using dedicated No bustitution. No bustitution. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we, we need rail. We need the T, but we need buses to run a whole lot better, and we can do that with our existing infrastructure, with using that space more efficiently and treating buses like, you know, like the cool kid on the block again that they deserve to be. There you go. Exactly. It's time to get on the bus. Absolutely. All, right. All aboard. Well, thank you, Julia. It's been a, a, a really good podcast, and I hope that our listeners learned a little bit more about bus rapid transit. And if you want to be active in this, uh, you know where to go. Yeah, we have a bossofbrt.org is our website. It's uh, We're working on updating that, but it certainly have inspiring images and statistics from BRT around the world. Uh, IGDP is about to release a new U.S. BRT implementation guide, which is an effort to sort of pull BRT from 
off the shelf of, of foreign countries, something that sort of exists out there, and put it into a U.S. context. We do have 12 BRT corridors in the U.S., and there's more and more that are underway, and we can't wait to see which city in Massachusetts is going to be the first one to go for the gold. Awesome. Well, where can, where can folks follow you? Oh, I'm on Twitter at uh, Julia Wallers. Um, we're also at, I, at ITT. <laughs> Even I can't say it. <laughs> ITTP US. <laughs> Very good. Thanks, listeners. See you on the bus. See you on the bus. I'm Jim Aloisi from Transit Matters. I'm Jared Johnson. We'll see you again.